I thank you so much for every single lady here. I thank you that it is the start to a brand new week. And we thank you and we praise you for who you are. We thank you for what you're going to do tonight. I thank you for fresh revelation. I thank you, Father, that you would minister to every one of our hearts. But, Father, you would make it personal to each and every one of us. And, Lord, that we set aside every distraction. We set aside everything that happened in our day, everything that's happening later tonight or later this week. Father, we set it aside and we say, come and do what only you can do. Come speak to us. And we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so we are in week five. So we have this week and then two more after this, and we'll wrap up. Um, I did want to see, I know that that last week, that week seven, goes into spring break. And so if there's a, a bunch of us going to be gone or it's just stretching out too long, um, I can absolutely short it or shorten it and we can wrap everything up next week if that's better for everybody or if everybody wants to go the full seven. So we'll kind of think about that and then uh, I'll ask you guys at the end and we'll make a decision and go from there. So I want to do a quick recap just because this, this study has been very, very much so a build. You, what we do one week, it builds every single week and all the homework, all the challenges. And so I want to go through just a, a recap of what we've been talking about so we can catch and see kind of where the flow is going. So week one, we talked about all of us having puzzling moments, that puzzling moments are inevitable. Ine oh my goodness, inevitable. They are inevitable. <laughs> all of our puzzling moments, they're, they're going to happen. We're going to face things. Some puzzling moments are really good. Some are not so good. Some we expect, some we don't expect, some we cause. But puzzling moments are going to happen, but every single moment God's going to use for good. And every one of our puzzling moments has a purpose. And so there's a purpose in our puzzle. There's a purpose in our picture, and God sees the big picture. So that was week one. Week two, we talked about God's perspective versus our, our perspective, that God's ways are higher, that God's thoughts are higher, that he doesn't see things the way that we see things. Yet sometimes we get in a place where like, I don't, I don't know how I can see this any different. I don't know. So your challenge was to write your story. You write your story based on those puzzling moments that you wrote down on week one. And after you wrote your story, you had to go back through and you had to write your story from God's perspective using his word. Because it's really hard to write something from God's perspective when we don't know who he is, when we don't know his character, and we don't know what he says about us. And that was the Psalms 139 that we went through that week. And then week three was, please excuse me. And so the excuses that we make, that sometimes we want to excuse ourselves from the table, not because we're just making excuses not to do what God wants to do, but because we truly feel that, I don't, I don't know that I can really fulfill what God has for me. I feel like my story is too messed up. I feel like my puzzle is just kind of like a, uh, my nephew was with us in uh, Laughlin this weekend, and I said, Wasey, can you color that picture? And so he's coloring and coloring and coloring. And I said, Wasey, um, so next time we color, we're going to have a contest. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, we're going to see who can stay in the lines best. Because he grabs all of his pins and just all the way around. There's no more picture. It's like a, he goes, I call this graffiti. It, it looks like graffiti. It really does look like graffiti. But some of us maybe feel like our puzzle just looks like graffiti, that we were just like, apart. Sometimes we try to do it with a permanent marker. Didn't work. But we, we feel that way. And there was two ways that all of our puzzling moments, that two categories that they all fall into. One, I brought this upon myself. I messed up. I did this. I caused this moment to happen in my life. 
or and we and we use the story of the um, the lady that got caught in adultery that she that she obviously got caught in the act that it was something she did but we saw how God's grace responded to that but then we saw Joseph who on the on his side of it he brought nothing upon himself like he did everything as right as he possibly could he was as faithful as he could possibly be and still got slammed and so these puzzling moments going that hit me out of nowhere I wasn't even prepared for that I don't understand why it's happening but then also seeing God's faithfulness through the story of Joseph, God's goodness coming through, God's big picture that if Joseph hadn't had all of that happen, the story of the Israelites would look completely different. The story of what took place in Egypt, the story of what took place in Joseph's family would look completely different. But it was this puzzling moment that happened to him. And then week four, last week, we talked about there's more to the story, that this is not it, that God's going to do more than where we're at right now. He's not done. We're not stuck in a place that he's forgotten about us. And we use the story of Moses. And we talked about how he's out in this place and he's out in this season where he's going, I know that there was a plan. People told me there was a plan. I know that I was spared for a reason and now I'm just tending sheep. Now I'm just out here wasting time. I must have blown it. I must have missed what God had for me. And sometimes we get caught in those seasons where we're like, man, I, I must have missed what God had for me. I, I don't know where I missed it, but I'm just in this season where I feel like, blah, I'm tin and sheep. I'm tin and sheep. But then what we saw was then the burning bush happens, and then Moses comes and God says, what's that in your hand? And he surrendered everything before him. And when it talked about him, his taking his sandals off in the Hebrew, and I don't have time to get into that tonight, but what that actually represents is a complete, like, giving ownership of rights to that person. You saw even in Hebrew weddings and different things when um, uh, a man would take a wife, and it would be that um, she would take shoes off, that he would take shoes off, that it was this ownership, this submission, this surrender to who God had created to be. And so in Moses, where he took his, his shoes off, what that actually even represented was, I surrender everything. I'm giving you total and complete ownership in my life. And so um, for us, we said that, you know, God has a plan, right? We've heard that God has a plan, but then we kind of stopped there and we're like, but what plan? I don't see it happening. I don't know what God's plan is. I don't know if I miss God's plan. But then you've heard people say, God wants to use you, right? God wants to use you. But then we still don't know what that means. That's equal there with God has a plan. But then we went one step farther and we said God wants to use all of us. All of us individually. God wants to use everything about Shelby. God wants to use everything about Carrie. God wants to use everything about Addie. God wants to use every part of you. You were created unique on purpose. And we played the game with just random questions and nobody matched for the purpose that Every single person in this room is different. Every single person in this room, you may have the same interest, but you have different gifts and talents to be able to accomplish those interests. You, you, but then sometimes we want to mold ourselves to fit, well, if I want to be successful and, and be the way God wants me, then I need to either look like this person or I need to act like this person or this personality trait just can't be. But we complement each other. And so we talked about loving yourself. 
that the personality thing is you're like, I don't, I've never met anybody that's like me. I've never met anybody with all the interests that I do. Maybe we're interested in one thing. Maybe we're interested in a hundred, but God wants to use all of you. And then we hit at the end of last week, we talked about the whole story having a purpose that when we go through all that happened to Moses, God used every piece of that to take the Israelites out of Egypt. God used every piece of that, but it wouldn't have happened had he not surrendered. And so we ended last week saying, have we surrendered every part of us? Have we chose to surrender all of us saying, God, use all of me. God, let me love me, but let me be proud of who you've created. And I surrender all of it to you. I surrender my job. I surrender my hobbies. I surrender my gifts, my talents, my abilities. I surrender my, my family. I surrender my roles in life that I surrender all for your purposes. And then we allow God to use them. So thus far, so that is going to get us, that's week four. That's our recap all the way through. Thus far, what we've done is we've been looking at the big picture of our puzzle. We haven't really dove into the little itty bitty pieces. We've been looking at the big picture going, God has a plan for the big picture. God has something in store for the big picture of my life. And so that's the first half of our study. The next three weeks or two weeks, whatever we decide, um, what that's going to look like is we're going to actually dive into the moments. We're going to dive into these puzzling situations. Maybe there's some in the past that maybe are still haunting us a little bit. Maybe we just can't get past. Maybe we can't move past. We're going to talk about some ways that we, so what do I do when I'm actually in the midst of the puzzling moment? I get that God's with me. I get that God sees this different. I get that that's a part of my story. I get that this isn't it. We understand all that, right? We've walked through that the last four weeks, but what are some practical things that we can actually do within the moment? What are some act, some practical things that these puzzling moments that maybe are happening in our life, we all might be walking through a puzzling moment. We, we all may have just walked out of one. We may be walking in one tomorrow that we haven't, we don't have no clue what we are going to encounter. But regardless, what are some practical things that we can do to actually walk through and face these moments. Does that make sense? So that's where we're headed for the next two or three weeks. That's where we just came from. So we're gonna go from big picture, seeing the purpose in it all, and we're gonna dive down into little moments. How do I handle this right now? Okay, so tonight, we're gonna talk about where are we looking. Next week, we're talking about what are we speaking. And week seven, we're gonna talk about who are you surrounded with. Or next week, we're gonna talk about both of those two topics, and we're just gonna smash them together in one. So whichever, but those are the, the next three that we're going to cover. And so tonight, um, we're, the, the whole title is where are we looking? Where are we looking? So this is session five, where are we looking? So um, as a basketball player, as a basketball coach, um, you're, you're teaching girls to shoot. You're teaching girls, I mean, you have to shoot the ball to win the basketball game, right? Like you can play defense all night long and get 7 million steals and not make a basket and still lose. And so you've got to shoot the ball to win the game. But, and when I'm coaching little kids, I've been coaching some little kids recently and um, we're, we're, you know, working on the basket and, and girls want to look at the whole backboard. They want to look at the whole rim and that's where they're shooting. But really, if you guys look at a, a basketball rim and, Let's just all pretend we're shooting a free throw real quick. So when you get to a gym, there's a little nail hole in the middle of every free throw line that you can put your shooting foot on. 
But then when you look at your rim, there's one or two things that are going to be the situation. One, um, it's going to have prongs that split like this, and there's going to be a space right in the middle. Or the rim's going to be rotated, and there's going to be one prong right in the middle. So when you're shooting your basketball, your job is to look at that one little prong or the space right between those prongs. So as you're teaching girls to shoot anywhere you are on the court, you get the ball and you go to shoot, then you're catching and your target is not I'm looking at the orange thing, not I'm looking at the huge backboard, that anywhere on the court that as you catch the ball to shoot, you're looking to go prong or split and you're shooting for that spot. If you shoot at the whole rim, your target's way too big. In a girls ba or in a basketball rim, a standard size high school rim, you can actually put two girls basketballs in it at one time. Doesn't seem that big. You can put two in there at one time. But your target is so important. Your target, if you watch girls shoot, their misses should be at the same part of the rim every time. So if you're missing, it shouldn't hit the back of the rim one time, the front of the rim one time, the side of the rim one time, because that means you're not looking where you're supposed to be shooting. And so it's very important to have that little itty bitty target. Um, running barrels, when I'm rodeoing, I'll actually go to the arena ahead of time and I mark off because when I'm running into first barrel, it's, I mean, you're looking at the barrel, right? No, if you look at the barrel, you hit the barrel. You can't look at the barrel. And so when you're running barrels, I'll actually go to the arena, I'm warming up ahead of time, or I walk out there if we're not allowed to be in the arena beforehand. And I look at my barrel and I see where it is and I step off, you know, my three feet, this or my three big steps this direction. And I look at a point that's past my barrel. And then I'll go put a little piece of tape or something on the fence up there. And then I look, you know, I go around first barrel and I'm looking at where a second barrel is. And I'm looking at the fence, get my point past the barrel and I'll go put a mark on that. Or I'll count panel posts and know which post I'm supposed to be looking at. I go to second barrel and I look at third and I look past third to the fence because I want to run my horse past that barrel. I don't want to run my horse into the barrel. And if I'm running in looking right at that barrel, I'm going to clobber that barrel going psycho fast and it's going to be a big mess. But if I'm looking past my barrel, then my horse is running. Your horse will run to where you're looking. When we're roping, I'm teaching kids to rope. Um, one of the things when they're riding in the box, if they look at the corner of the box, we can never get their horse back in the box. So I have to make them pick a point on the wall way back there or beyond the box or beyond if we're outside, then I'll pick a tree way out miles that way. And you're gonna ride your horse to that tree. And as soon as that kid picks up his head and starts riding his horse to the tree, his horse will just keep on moving right into the box. And so your horse will actually go where you're looking. Does that make sense? When we're, when we're roping, um, we're, let's say we're, we're team roping. If I'm team roping, I don't look at the horns as I'm coming out of the box. I look at the base of the left horn, one little itty bitty spot this big, and that's where I'm throwing my rope. And if I look at the hole, if I look at it, all the horns, I'll miss, I'll top notch. If I look at the right horn, I'm gonna miss the left horn and my rope won't come around. So where I look is so important for everything. And I can go on and on and on and on and on and on and on with e events and, and things that um, we have in life that where you're looking, you're going to go. If you're driving down the road and you're staring at the right lines, the white line so you don't hit it, anybody know what happens? We're going to run over the white line, right? So everything in life has so much to do with where we're looking. Where we look is where we go.
And so tonight, we're going to put that into these puzzling situations. Where we look is where we're going to end up. Where we're looking is where we're going to go. If we're looking there, we're going to hit it. And then, you know, it's, if you aim at nothing, you're sure to hit it. And so as we, as we start tonight, um, I want us to think about those puzzling moments. And if you're in one right now, if you just got out of one, um, or if you're not in one right now, just go, okay, take yourself back to one so you can put it in context. But where are you looking? Where are you looking? Because in all of those situations that I just talked about, when these puzzling moments happen, there's a lot to focus on at one time. We've all been there, right? So these puzzling moments happen. What do you mean, where am I looking? I can look anywhere and I mean, if I look there, then I gotta focus there and then my mind goes here and if I look there, then my mind goes here and if I go, and then we get completely overwhelmed by the vastness of this thing that we're walking through. This puzzling moment, we're completely overwhelmed by it. That we're going, oh man, like, I'm trying to look at this situation, I'm trying to see it, and then we try to apply steps one through four, but that's the big picture. So we're like, I'm trying to see it from God's perspective, but I think I'm being crucified. And that's how we feel, right? I'll be like Jesus, I'm being crucified right now, I know it. But these moments get so overwhelming. And that's why I want to break down some practical things while we're in the moment. What are we focusing on? So let's turn over. We're going to go to Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. And I'm going to read it in the New King James. Then I'm going to turn around and read it in the Amplified as well. So Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. I'm going to read it in the New King James first. Um, chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. I'm going to read it in New King James. And then we're going to look at it in the Amplified. Give everybody a minute to, to turn over there. All right, we're going to start reading. It says, therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Okay, we talked about our puzzles, right? And our puzzles are a big picture, but we're constantly moving. We're constantly growing. We're constantly walking out life. So this is the race that we're running. The race that's set before us is, okay, I'm walking out. The plan and the purpose that God has for me. I'm walking out my life to the best of my ability. Okay? But then, verse 2, it says, looking unto Jesus. And I love this. The author. Looking unto Jesus. The author. But not only the author. Not only the current writer. Right? But the finisher of our faith. Not just the author. But the finisher. And we've talked, we used the scripture a few weeks back, but it says that he's faithful to complete the work that he started in you, right? He's going to complete these things. So he's not just the author, but he's the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Okay, I want to read the same scripture in the Amplified because I like how it says a couple things here. I think it just brings the just brings it into context a little more. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, 
All right, so all of us are like, yeah, what does that actually mean? Who's witnessing what, right? It says, who by faith have testified to the truth of God's absolute faithfulness. Stripping off every unnecessary weight and sin and, oh, sorry, I skipped a line. Oh, yeah, and the sin which so easily and cleverly entangles us. Let us run with endurance and active persistence the race that is set before us. And this part right here, this is the looking part I want us to catch. Looking away from all that will distract us. Looking away from all that will distract us. Not looking at it, but looking away from all that will distract us. Focusing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of faith, the first incentive for our belief and the one who brings our faith to maturity, who for the joy of accomplishing the goal set before him endured the cross, disregarding the shame and set down at the right hand of the throne of God, revealing his deity, his authority, and the completion of his work. All right, so what the, the end of that will cut off because I don't have time to go into the fullness and explanation of that, but the author and the perfecter, but the part I want us to focus on is it says looking away from all that distracts us looking unto Jesus, okay? So our focus being on Jesus. So put ourselves back in these moments. And we're about to jump into one in just a minute. We're actually going to jump into three moments tonight um, in the Word. We're going to jump into the story and see how these people were seeing at this time. But in these puzzling moments, are we looking at things? Because it says we, look, we lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles us, right? So if it entangles us, it's going to trip us up. If it entangles us, it might trap us there. If it entangles us, it might keep us in a place that we don't want to be. But it's because we're looking at it, right? And so it says to look away from the things that distract us, but to look at Jesus, the author and the perfecter, the author and the finisher of our faith. All right. And so let's jump into a story here. I'm going to go to Matthew 14, 24. Sorry. 1422, because I want to set the context of this a little more. And it says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples. This is right after they fed the 5,000. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now, when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. All right. So Jesus said, go to the other side, right? And we can preach this a thousand ways tonight, and so we don't have time to preach this part of it either. Man, we, got, we need more time, and we could really go in depth in all of these teachings. But he says, go to the other side, okay? Sometimes in our puzzling moments, we feel like, man, I really got to walk through this. I really got to get to the other side of this. I really want to see the other side. Okay. So, and we're, and at the beginning of the puzzling moment, we're like, oh man, no, I'm going to stand on the word of God. I'm going to do what God told me to do. I just saw his faithfulness. They literally just fed the 5,000. They just saw one of the biggest miracles in the Bible take place. So they just see this and now they're at a place where they're like, okay, 
Like, we are golden. And Jesus sends them across. And so maybe we came out of something that we're like, I'm feeling really good. Anybody ever, like, not been hit by the devil one day and you're like, dang straight, I am doing fantastic. Like, this feels good. And so he, the, the disciples are like, yeah, we'll, we'll paddle ourselves over there. No problem. So they're headed over. And it says when they get to the middle, when they get to the middle, when they're on their way to the other side of it, they get to the middle of it and there's a storm. Man, they did not check their weather before they headed across. Maybe that was the, the thing that they missed. Maybe they should have stayed parked. But Jesus said to go. And they get there and now they have a puzzling moment. Now you know, okay, we gotta jump into this story. They were human beings, right? Remember we said we're not gonna look at all these stories and see how cool the people were because we're cool people too. We're gonna look and see who Jesus is and who God is in all these stories. So let's be them, they're human. What thoughts are gonna be running through your mind? Jesus said to go, and now I'm in a storm. What thoughts are running? Whether you don't have to say them out loud, but be honest with yourself. I might be thinking like, <laughs> next time I'm bringing Jesus with me, or I'm gonna stay there till he's done. This is ridiculous. Like why, why I just, and, and now we forgot all about that miracle because we're in the middle of a storm. And so now we're here, this is a puzzling moment. This is a surprise. This was definitely not something that I was going to face. I mean, I literally just counted enough food to feed 5,000 men. I'm exhausted. I'm headed across because it's nighttime. Like it's the middle of the night too, the darkest hour. So I'm headed across probably to sleep. This is the last thing I want to deal with right now. The last thing I want to deal with. Okay, you guys know like when you're almost somewhere or it's already really late and you're like imagining yourself sleeping in your bed when you get home and then you get like a flat tire or the road's closed or you hit some weather or yeah right okay not a fun moment not a fun thing actually we drove home last night we left at 2 30 yesterday morning I got home about one o'clock this morning so it was like a 24 hour day and we're coming home and we hear somebody tell us that there's like there's it's snowing across San Antonio mountain and we're like oh my gosh we never hit snow. But then the people that are 30 minutes behind us like sent us a video of a blizzard that they went through and I told them, ah, we missed the storm. <laughs> no puzzling moments tonight. <laughs> but it was fantastic. But yeah, I don't know how we missed it because they they got it before us and after us and we never hit snow. But it's this moment. I'm tired. I'm almost, I saw God work. I'm finally like, oh, like on the downhill of it. And then this hits. So put yourself in the story. We're in the story. All right. Uh, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. I mean, do you love how nonchalant it says that? Like, no problem. He was just out for a walk because he didn't get his steps in that day. Um, and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. Okay, a point that I want to make right here. And if you want to mark it in your Bible, mark it in your Bible. If you want to write verse, whatever verse we're actually reading right now, and make a note of it in your notes, make a note of it in your notes. They're in the middle of their puzzling moments. They just experienced a miracle. Now they're in this puzzling moment, and Jesus is walking right at them, and they don't recognize him. So the person they're supposed to be looking at, they don't even recognize. Why? 
because we are so focused on this storm. We are so focused on what is happening around me right now. And how many times in our puzzling moments are we in a place where, man, everything's breaking loose around me. This storm's hitting me. I feel like I can't see my way out. It hit me unexpectedly. And have we ever stopped to go? Because the Bible says Jesus will never leave us nor forsake us, right? But as soon as the storm happens, one of the first things that we always say is, Jesus, where are you? <laughs> like, right? You sent me out here. Where are you? It says he never leaves us nor forsakes us. So we know that Jesus is with us. We're just not looking at him. We're just not seeing him, right? We're seeing our storm. We're seeing the problem. We're seeing the chaos around us where we're not seeing Jesus. And so they think he's a ghost because they do not even recognize him. And it says, but immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Okay, again, that's a really nice greeting that Jesus had. But if I'm in that boat and it's a storm and craziness has happened and he says, I mean, here's the thing. It's in the middle of the night. So this is why we got to put ourselves in the story and see the difference between God's perspective and ours. It's in the middle of the night and this is not okay. This is a, a puzzling moment. This is an unplanned event. And Jesus is greeting that he chooses, I gotta turn back over here because my pages are blowing, says, be of good cheer. <laughs> this, this is why you gotta put yourself in this story. Because if your friend or your husband or whatever walked in when you're in the middle of it, it says, be of good cheer. It is I. Like, I kill you. But I turn to you way, right? Okay, how many people would be a disciple being like, you want to drown in that water? <laughs> be of good cheer. Negatory Capitan. It is I. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Okay, not comforting, right? Not comforting because my focus is still not on Jesus. It's on this chaos. It's on the crazy. It's on, so we're like, no. I'm not going to be of good cheer, and I am going to be afraid because you don't know what I'm going through, right? That's what we say. You don't know the kind of day I've had. You don't know what I'm going through. You don't know, you don't know what this moment did to me. You don't know what, what is happening right now. That's where the disciples would be like, yo, says the man that's on jet skis. Like, no, you're walking on this. But I wonder, I just want, and, P and Peter sees a glimpse of it. I think Peter saw a glimpse of this. But in the midst of this storm, Jesus is literally walking on the storm. He's just out for a midnight walk. Just didn't know he was on the water, right? And so he's literally walking on the thing that's consuming them. He's walking on the thing that's causing turmoil. He's walking on the thing that's wrecking so much havoc. He's walking on the thing that's bringing fear. He's walking on the thing that is just making a mess. He's, he's walking on it. And so if just for a second, I know we've been these disciples and all of your heart rate probably went up if you got a Fitbit or something. I bet if you check it, your heart rate went up a few minutes ago when you're like, <laughs> right? But... 
he's walking on that, if just for a minute they might have might have recognized Jesus. And they might have stopped for a minute and been like, oh, come at me, storm. Look it. Like, Jesus. Jesus. When it says that, that he never leaves me nor forsakes me, when he says that he has a different perspective, when he has a different view of this, that no, I can be like, Jesus, I can walk on this thing that's trying to take me out. I can walk on this moment that's causing turmoil. I can walk on, name it, fear. I can worry, doubt, anxiety, stress, depression, oppression i'm running out of anger um <laughs> whatever it might be that thing that is causing so much jesus is walking on it and if their focus might have been shifted i wonder if more than just peter would have walked on water that night if more than that on the can can all the way across like leave the boat here it can die like <laughs> but no and so we see, we're going to keep going here, but Peter sees something different. Peter sees a glimpse, and he said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. <laughs> this story, it really just cracks me up. I read it so many times today, studying it over the last couple weeks. And <laughs> I just, it, it, it makes me laugh. So what's Peter say? He says, if it is you, command me to come come to you on the water. So what does Jesus say? Come. come. <laughs> like, not anything great, like, have faith in I. No, he just goes, come. <laughs> right? Like, it's not hard, Peter. Come. And I wonder, I wonder how many times when we're in our boat of this puzzled moment that we're like, Jesus, let me come to you. And he's like, come. But I can't. Because these, this nonsense is going on. It's about to sink me. Right? And he just says, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Whoa. So Jesus says, come. Peter puts his eyes on Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. The storm is no longer an issue, right? Because he completely changed his perspective. He completely changed. He's not looking at the water. He's not looking at the boat. He's not listening to his buddy scream. He's looking solely on Jesus like, oh, he said, come. So he took him at his word. That's going to be an important point in just a minute. So he heard what Jesus said. So he heard Jesus' word. He focused on the word. He responded to the word, looking at Jesus, and he stepped out of the boat to come. And it said he was walking on water. Like, that's huge. Nobody else walked on water in the whole Bible. Like, Peter's got, he, like, he's on to something here. But then let's keep going. But when he saw that, wind, that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and began to sink, crying out, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. They got into the boat, the wind ceased. All right, so Peter was, was great. Peter was great when he was looking at Jesus. He wasn't looking at his problems. He wasn't looking at the puzzling moment. He wasn't looking at, at everything that could go wrong. He wasn't measuring like the surface area of his foot to the water, trying to decide if it was actually scientifical that he do this. He just stepped out and went. 
I'm going to step out and say, I'm going to take God at his word, and I'm going to walk on this thing that's trying to take me out. And he did. But then, right? But then. But then he got distracted. Remember, he said, look away from the things that distract you. Why are we looking away from them? Because we're looking at Jesus. And we can't look at Jesus and the problem at the same time. We can't look at the distractions and look at Jesus at the same time. We can't. And so he, he looks at the distraction, but in order to look at the distraction, he had to take his eyes off Jesus. In order to look at the problem, he had to take his eyes off Jesus. In, in order, and it wasn't like Peter was looking at a bad thing, right? He was looking at his reality. He was simply looking at his reality. And sometimes even taking our eyes off Jesus, taking our eyes off of God's word to even look at our reality going, oh my, will sink us. Will sink us. And Peter, Minx, can you go down and turn that heater off? You guys more? Or am I just <laughs> up here running laps? Um, just turn it down to like 65 would be phenomenal. Um, but we were we get in a place where we look at our distraction and it sinks us and it takes us out and that thing we were just walking on right that thing we were walking on takes us out but then we see the grace of our god that, that jesus is gonna gonna pick him up but what does he say why did you doubt why did you doubt you were walking you were relying on my word you were looking at me you were walking on the problem why did you doubt when jesus steps in the boat and the wind ceases? Jesus steps in the boat and the wind ceased. And so lots of points on, on this, and I wanna I wanna get to our other stories as well, but so so many things. Why did you doubt? Again, let's jump back in the story. Because it doesn't say Peter answered that question. You guys see an answer? All right, this is my question in our puzzling moments. Why did you doubt? What caused you to doubt? What caused you to take your eyes off Jesus or not look at him or recognize him in the first place? What caused you to doubt? What was it? What was it? Was it fear? Was it worry? Was it maybe our own sanity going, this makes no sense, I'm walking on water, right? Maybe we're relying on the word of God going, no, I'm going to see the word. I'm going to speak the word. I'm going to look at Jesus. And then our mind takes over and we're like, no, 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 no. That is not even sane. Like I'm believing something that is so not even of this existence. Like that doesn't even make sense to me. Of course it doesn't. Because remember week two? God's ways are higher. God's thoughts are higher. And when we see from his perspective, when we take him at his word, it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be understood. Walking on water doesn't make sense. Walking on the thing trying to take us out doesn't make sense. But when we walk on fear and worry and anxiety, I wonder if Peter was walking in joy and peace at that moment before he sunk. Right? Why? Because he was looking at joy and peace. If he listened to Jesus' word and he obeyed what he heard, then he was listening to joy and peace and comfort, wasn't he? Because who, who is God? Who is Jesus? He is peace. He's the Prince of Peace. He is truth, right? So we have to know who our God is before we can respond 
and and know what we're even responding to. That's why we did the exercise in week two of going, we can't write our story according to God's perspective if you don't know God's perspective. If we don't know who God is, we'll never see it the way God sees it. The way Jesus saw it was let's walk on this storm. We just walked away from a miracle. We just fed 5,000 people. We just walked away from a miracle. This little storm shouldn't be the thing to take us out. This storm should have perfect peace. Just like I was your provider right there means that I'm your peace right here, means that I'm your joy right there, means that I'm your strength right there, right? So who is he? His character doesn't change. We just get to experience different attributes of who he is as we walk through these puzzling moments. All right, let's flip over. Let's look at another story here. Let's look at um, 2 Kings 6.14. Okay, and we're going to look at, at a story here where... I'm sorry, what did you do? 2 Kings 6.14. We're going to see somebody's eyes, and we've heard this story, but putting it in perspective and jumping into the story... We're going to see somebody's eyes be opened to another perspective, okay? And so just a little, I'm going to um, just paraphrase the backstory to this. But before this, um, the there's this king, and he's, he's out to get the Israelites. And so he's basically sent spies out to know when they're coming, when they're going. He sent spies out to know when they're going to be where. He sent spies out for all of these things. And so he knows, okay, they're going to, they get water at this time during the day. They go in their tents at this time during the day. And we're going to trap them at these places and we're going to take them out. We're going to wipe them out. But every time they'd show up with a trap, the Israelites just wouldn't show up that day. They'd miss them. And so he gets mad and he's like, who's the snitch? So he pulls his army together and he's like, who's the snitch? Who's telling the Israelites that we're setting traps for them? And one guy speaks up and he says, none of us are snitches like it's not us but God's in your room and he's telling this prophet and this prophet's telling the Israelites it's not us God's the one telling the secrets that's pretty crazy right like they recognize like God's telling these secrets that's a big deal okay so the king is furious and he's like I'm gonna take out this guy one man I'm gonna take out this guy just just one man right he sends every single Soldier, every single army, every single capable fighting person he has access to, to take out one man. Why? Because he can see the power of God in this guy's life. He can see what God's, use, what God's doing in this guy's life. And so one point there is sometimes the enemy is going to send all he's got because the enemy has more faith in who God is than we do, right? And so... He sends everybody he's got. And that's what we're going to pick up in the story. Verse 14, it says, Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? puzzling moment to wake up to right puzzling moment I mean he just got out of bed and he's like oh man we're surrounded like there's no way out any of us ever had a puzzling moment where we said that I just don't see a way out of this 
I just don't see a way that we're going to get past this. Like, I feel surrounded. I feel like something's coming at me from all sides, and I don't know where to look. I don't know where to turn, and I don't. But we see here that Elisha, he just really doesn't much care. So we keep going. He says, what shall we do? So verse 16, he says, so he answered, do not fear. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Hmm. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Open his eyes, right? Because he went out and he immediately saw the enemy. Okay, when we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, when we have five seconds by ourselves to think, do we immediately see the enemy or do we immediately see God? It's an interesting question in our puzzling moments. But what's our routine? When we wake up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, are we focusing on, oh yeah, I, I, got, I got those bills and, and that thing that happened, I gotta, I gotta take care of in this puzzling moment that, man, are we focused immediately on the enemy? Or are we focused on God? Where are we looking? Where are we looking when we wake up? Because his servant looked at the enemy. Elisha wasn't, Elisha didn't see that. And he said, then the Lord opened his eyes and the young, of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, strike this people. I pray with what? Hmm, blindness. So they could no longer see. Blindness. And he struck them with blindness, according to the words of Elisha. We're going we're gonna to stop that story right there. The servant goes out and he sees himself surrounded by the enemy. Elisha walks out and sees himself surrounded by the armies of the Lord. And so my question is, is that have we trained ourselves in these puzzling moments and in, in life in general, but in these, we're focusing on inside the puzzling moments. Is our initial response to look at Jesus or is our initial response to look at the enemy? Because sometimes the enemy just seems like our reality, right? He just walked out and saw what he saw. Elisha walked out and saw what he saw, though. Why? Because Elisha has trained himself to see Jesus. He's trained himself to see according to the word of God. He's trained himself to see how God sees and so Elisha walked out and was like, oh no, oh no, our, it's not us that's surrounded, it's our enemy that's surrounded. And maybe if we would see our situations like that, that we go, oh no, it's not me that's surrounded, my enemy's surrounded. Because I serve a God that knew this day was coming, because I serve a God that is going to protect me, because I serve a God that's faithful, because I serve a God that's greater than anything that can come against me. It doesn't say that there's not a weapon that's going to be formed against you, it says it won't prosper. And so Elijah, knowing this, goes, oh, yeah, look at all those cute weapons. Look at God's. He knows, right? And so when we, how have we trained ourselves in these puzzling moments, in these things that we face in life? Have we trained ourselves to see the enemy or have we trained ourselves to see God? It's a big question. But the servant ran in in fear, right? Which is what? A tactic of the enemy enemy wants us to fear when we feel surrounded. He wants us to fear in these puzzling moments. But the first thing Elisha said is, do not fear. Why? Because Elisha was walking in perfect peace, just like Peter walking on the water in peace when he was looking at Jesus. Elisha walks out at peace because he's looking at 
if the armies of the Lord. He walks out because he sees it from God's perspective, and he walks out in peace. The servant who's looking at the exact same thing is in fear. So could it be that every time that we our initial response is to worry, is to fear, is to be anxious, is to is to be depressed, is to is to hang our head low? Could it be that every time there's an alternate perspective waiting for us if we would just open our eyes and look at Jesus? Could it be? We just saw it with Peter. Literally could walk in peace on the thing taking him out or sink in fear because he took his eyes off Jesus. The, the, the servant, two people looking at the exact same city, looking at the exact same mountain. One sees the armies of God and one sees the enemy. One is in fear because what are we going to do? That's a key that we're not looking at Jesus. What was his question? What are we going to do? Right? What are we going to do? When that gets in our heart, when our question is, when we're facing something, what am I going to do? That should strike an alarm and go, oh, I'm reacting in fear, but I serve a God of peace. And if I was looking at peace and walking in peace, I'd be walking on fear, not sinking in it. Right? Two different perspectives. But what are we looking at? What are we looking at in our moment? What are we trained ourselves to look at? One more story, then we're going to wrap up. Let's go to Daniel 3.19. So many puzzling moments in the whole Bible. 319. All right, so we're going to look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All stories that we've heard a hundred times. All stories that we've studied. But it changes our perspective when we jump in the story and put them in our moments. But So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the king at this time, Nebuchadnezzar, said... I don't want anybody praying to any other God. I want everybody bowing down to this image. I want everybody doing it. And if you don't, I'm going to throw you in the furnace. Okay? So that's what just got established. So we pick it up in 19. Then somebody turned him in, said Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, said that they're not going to bow down. Um, Let's look at at 16, actually. Let's read right there and just look at what they declare ahead of time. Um, But he says, well, let's see if I want to back up farther. See, sorry. Let's go to 13. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you are ready, at the time you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and the psaltery, in the symphony with all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, good. But if you do not worship... You shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? Hmm. Who is the God that's going to deliver you? How many of you in a puzzling moment? Ah, my pages keep turning. How many of you in a puzzling moment ever feel that resistance from the enemy? Or maybe have that thought yourself to go, can God get me out of this? Can God deliver me from this? Can God, is God really going to show up? Is God really going to save me? Because that's what the enemy is planting in our mind. Look at Nebuchadnezzar. That's what he's trying to plant in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What is it? Doubt. Doubt. Same thing that sunk Peter. Doubt. The exact same thing the enemy wants to plant in our minds so that we would come to a place to doubt. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Man, 
that we could say to the enemy, that we could say to doubt, to worry, that we could say to that thing we're facing, that we could say to that puzzling moments that I'm not even going to give you my attention. I, you don't even deserve my answer because I'm that grounded in who I serve. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. He's like, I'll give you one better, okay? That we can look at the enemy, put ourselves at the story, be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in here, and look at the boldness that they came forward in their puzzling moment, that he says, the furnace? You're worried about us being thrown in the furnace? My God will not only deliver me from that, but you too. And that we can look at these situations and go, this? My God's not only going to deliver me from this, but he delivered me from you, devil, already. That we would look at our situations with that kind of boldness and go, this? That's a problem? That's what you're threatening me with? That we would look and see a bigger picture. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it said that they were servants of God. They said that the God that we serve. Why? Because they are looking at God constantly. Because they are seeking God constantly. That, ladies, and that's the, the, the challenge, that it's not just going day to day to day, but that we would be ladies that truly have a time in worship every single day, that we have a time in prayer every single day, that we have time in the Word every single day, so that we train our mind, that we train our eyes, that we train our emotions, that we see the way God sees, that we react the way God reacts, that we would open our eyes to see the bigger picture, because... Then, when we get attacked with a puzzling moment, when we see something that we can go, are you kidding me? That's all you got? That's what you're throwing at me? I'll absolutely be delivered from this, and I've already been delivered from you, because we can say it with that boldness. Why? Because we've been in the presence of God. Because we see the bigger picture, and we don't question our God for a second. Because we serve another attribute, the faithful God, right? The faithful God. So they, they weren't doubting. He said, he'll deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury, and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And he spoke, and he commanded that they heat the furnace seven times more than it was usually heated. And he commanded certain mighty men of valor who were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Ever felt bound up in those puzzling moments too? Like, man, I feel like I can't move. I feel like I can't, but I'm not changing my perspective. I'm not taking my eyes off Jesus. I'm not looking at the binds that are holding me. I'm looking at Jesus. He says that they were bound. Then these men were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their garments, and were cast in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent, the furnace was exceedingly hot that the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Flame of the fire killed those men who took them up there. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. See, I don't know this because it's not biblical, but why did they fall down? I wonder. Because they threw them so hard they fell down, or maybe they were in a position of worship. I don't actually know. But... I'll ask when I get there. Um, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he arose in haste and spoke, saying to his counselors, Did we not cast three bound men into the midst of the fire? They answered and said, True, O king. Look. Whoa. There's that word again. Look. Look. He answered, I see four men loose walking in the midst of the fire, 
and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Then Nebuchadnezzar went near the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came from the midst of the fire. And the satraps and administrators, governors, and the king's counselors were gathered together, and they saw those men whose bodies the fire had no power. The fire had no power. That puzzling moment had no power. The hair of their head was not singed, nor were their garments affected, and the smell of fire was not on them. We're going to stop there. The smell of the fire wasn't even on them. Here's the thing. This is, you know, when we're walking through puzzling moments, remember when we had talked about last week it being a bigger picture, and it's not always about us, right? It's not always about us. That I wonder in our puzzling moments, are we so focused on Jesus? Are we so focused on his perspective? Are we looking so hard at his word? Are we looking so much at Jesus that when people see us walking through the trials, when they see us walking through these moments, that they not only see us, but they see Jesus as well? Who do they see? Do we come out of our puzzling moments like, you know, those videos are like those singed cats. Like, <laughs> Sometimes I feel that way walking out of a puzzling moment. Or do we walk out and be like, Nope, didn't even smell like smoke, right? Because that's how they walked out. But the guy that threw them in, their enemy that threw them in, the people surrounding, because it wasn't just Nebuchadnezzar that saw, it said that all he got all his people, and they saw him. He said, do you, do you know how many men I threw in that fire? He said, I see four. But he didn't just say four men. It's interesting to me that it goes on to say, somebody read that because I closed my Bible. It says, I see four, and the fourth is... Like the Son of God. So recognizable. How'd they know what Jesus looked like? Hmm. Must have been some peace. Must have been some joy. Must have been no other way they could have faced what they faced. Right? Is this encouraging to you guys? So puzzling moments are going to happen. Puzzling moments come at us from all directions. But I want us to see, and we're not going to read this story, but I want us to see something here. The Israelites only focused on their lack. God constantly provided. They never saw God as their provider. They only saw their lack, and they missed the promised land. God showed up every day, several times a day, actually. God showed up several times a day, but they only focused on their lack, and they never chose to see God. I wonder if they had just saw him one time. Look at all that God did for them. And if we went through our lives, we'd go, man, look at all God does for me. How many times does he show up in a day when I'm too focused? Focusing on my lack, so I miss. I miss seeing the big picture. I miss seeing what God has, right? And so that we would change our perspective. And so how do we look at Jesus? Because you're like, those are great stories. Jesus is not in this room. How do I look at him? <laughs> right? He is not standing in front of me on the water. He's not. So how do we look at Jesus? How do we look at Jesus in these puzzling moments? That's the importance. Anybody been doing their 15 minutes a day of the word challenge? Challenge with a couple weeks ago? Yeah. That'll change your life. You do 15 minutes a day. I promise you. I promise you it'll change your life. But that's how. That's one way. It says it. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then it says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, right? So we know that Jesus and God are the Word of God. 
And so by looking at the word of God and taking him at his word, just like Jesus told him, right? He told Peter, come. And he took him at his word. It's time in prayer. It's time in worship. It's time not just praying about our lack. It's not just praying about our moment. But maybe it's time praying so focused on Jesus, just telling him who he is. Right? Training ourselves that I'm not going to look at the problem. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to see Jesus. I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning and I'm going to see it from his perspective. So the puzzling moment you're facing, the situations you are facing, your challenge tonight before you go to bed, you find a scripture that counters whatever you're feeling. Find a scripture that counters it and you wake up with that scripture first thing in the morning. You don't think about the problem. You don't think about the lack. You don't look at what's not there. You don't look at the turmoil. You don't look at the chaos. You don't look at the storm. You don't look at the waves. You don't look at the wind. That you wake up and first thing in the morning you go peace. First thing in the morning you say joy. First thing in the morning you say, no, I can do that. My, my, his strength is made perfect in my weakness. That whatever it is, I don't know what everybody's facing here and here tonight, but you find a scripture that counters whatever moment you're facing right now, whatever's stirring in the back of your mind. But then, if you can confront it, confront it directly. If it's fear that you're sinking in, confront fear directly. If it's, if it's worry, if it's anxiety, confront it directly. If it's sleeplessness, if it's an image thing, if it's low self-esteem or low self-confidence, if it's guilt or shame, all that was taken on the cross. That was already a so so say that. Say that. And so whatever it is, counteract it. Find a scripture tonight before you go to bed. And if you want to do it before you leave here, that's fine. But tonight before you go to bed, you find a scripture that counters that. And then you find another scripture. And then you memorize those two scriptures. And then you find another scripture and you memorize that scripture. And you look to Jesus regardless. No, no, I know his ways are higher. I know if I feel fear, then I know that I probably have another perspective that I could be seeing things at. If I feel depression, no, I know that there's another perspective that I can see this from. And we step into that. And that's in the moment. That's a practical thing that we can do every single day. But we got to do it. That's the kicker. These are all really, really fluffy messages. And they'll do nothing for you if they're not applied. They do nothing for us if they're not applied. But I choose to see things from God's perspective. Joshua says, choose this day whom you'll serve. Choose this day whom you'll serve. We saw that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were servants of God. Am I serving myself? Am I serving my moment? Am I serving God when I wake up first thing in the morning? And let me see things from a different perspective. We're going to face things. We're going to have emotion, and that's fine. But the question he asked Peter is, why did you doubt? What caused you to doubt? What caused you to not look at me? What caused you to look away and catch yourself? Catch yourself. You catch yourself in fear. You catch yourself in worry. You catch yourself. Go, mm, what caused me to be this way? Because my scripture this morning did not say that. So what happened? What caused me to be this way? And then let's switch back over and get back over to God's perspective. Pray, God, open my eyes. Let me see this from a different way. God, let me walk on the thing that's taking me out. But speak it. Now next week, well, we're going to pray, and then we're going to talk about next week. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you. And we thank you that you are faithful. We thank you that you are good. That we thank you that you are truth. 
We thank you, Father, that you are our strength. Father, we thank you are our comforter. We thank you that you're our wisdom. We thank you that you're our guide. Father, we thank you that you're our joy, that you're our peace. Father, we thank you for all that you are. We worship you and we praise you. And Lord, I pray that we would see things from your perspective, that we would choose no matter what we're walking through, no matter what we're facing, Father God, no matter what thing is maybe just causing our chest to shrink in a little bit, no matter what knots are just going in our stomach, no matter what thing that has caused us to worry, no matter what thing has caused us to fear, Father, but we would confront it with your word and we choose to walk on that thing that's taken us out. We choose to walk in your peace. We choose to walk in your faithfulness. We choose to walk, Father God, as servants of you. And I pray that going forward from this day, that we would wake up, Father God, and we would look to you. We would not look at our problems. We would not look at fear. We would not look at doubt and worry. But we would wake up and we would look at you. And I pray that we would have a hunger for you that we maybe we've never had, that we would have more of an intimate relationship with you, that, Father, that from this day forward, that there would not be a day that goes by that we would not solely and fully and wholeheartedly depend on who you are, that we would say, man, I can't get through a day without my God because he is my strength, he is my peace, and I don't want to go through a day without my God. We would be so dependent on you. I thank you for every lady. I thank you for safety. I thank you that everything they put their hands to this week will be blessed. Father God, I thank you that you'll go before them. I thank you that you're their rear guard. I thank you for just supernatural favor and blessing on the rest of this week for every single lady in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so...